If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're actually looking at verses 1 to 26. I'm not going to read all those verses for you this morning. I'm just going to read verses 3 to 9 um, because there's some special emphasis on that. But I want to challenge you to take the time to read through uh, not only chapter 14, so that's the 26 uh, verses in the first section, really, of uh, chapter 14. Uh, it goes up to um, uh, 70-something verses in uh, chapter 14, so 72 verses there. But I want to challenge you actually to read verses, uh, chapter 14, 15, and 16, because over the next uh, few weeks, so l- uh, leading up to Easter and including Easter, uh, we'll be working our way through the end of the Gospel of Mark. Um, so chapter 14 to the end. Mark is believed to be the first gospel that was written, and uh, so we're kind of going back to the basics, and we want to look at this story of, um, which is commonly known as the, uh, the passion of Christ. Now, passion is taken from the Greek word for suffering, and so people talk about the passion of Christ or the passion story uh, when, in, in relation to Jesus. They're talking about the suffering that he endured leading up to and including his death on the cross. And so, uh, look with me, if you will, at uh, Mark chapter 14, beginning verse 3. It says, While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head, some of those present were saying indignantly, indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always be, you will always have with you. And you can help them any time that you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout all the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let me just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. I pray, God, that we be a people who, who read it every day, who long to know more of you. And God, we're thankful for these stories of, of the suffering that you're willing to endure for us because of your love and grace toward us. God, teach us more of you as we study your word together. Be glorified, God, through all this done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, this story takes place in a time uh, in which uh, the Jews were celebrating the Passover meal. Now, Passover is a very, um, a very important tradition for the, the Jewish people because they were celebrating, uh, really reenacting their exodus from Egypt hundreds of years before when God led the people of, uh, of Israel out of uh, slavery in Egypt. On their last night before they went, God told them to, um, uh, before He set them free, really, um, God told them to bake or to have this unleavened bread 
uh, to not take the time to put any, any yeast in the bread and to allow that to rise, uh, but to prepare this food that they could eat in a hurry because they were getting ready to, uh, to leave and to be free. He also told them to any who trusted in him and any who would follow in him to take a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, and to sacrifice it and take the blood of this lamb and to spread it over, to paint it over the doorpost of their homes. And as the spirit of death, which God called to spread throughout Egypt, as the spirit went from door to door, anyone whose door had the blood covering the doorpost, the spirit of death would pass over and their family would not be touched. But anyone who did not have the the blood at the doorpost, uh, the firstborn in each of these families, whether it be children or adults, uh, would be killed. And all throughout Egypt, there was a night of, of death and suffering, but for the people of God who trusted in Him and followed His commands, there was life and there was freedom because of the blood of the Lamb. And every year the Jewish people would get together and they would celebrate this Passover meal, uh, a meal in which they could reenact some of this. And, and through the, the bread and the juice, they would remember the, the blood that bought their freedom as a people. And during this time, during this time, verses 1 and 2, says that the Jewish leaders were plotting to kill Jesus. Now it says in verse 1, now the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were only two days away. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Now I don't know about you, but I think this is interesting because Jesus is a Jewish teacher. He was born a Jew, he's raised up a Jew, and he's teaching in the synagogues, he's speaking in the temples. You would think that the Jewish leaders would be on his side, right? But Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God and how he himself is God's son and droves of people, crowds of people followed Jesus everywhere he was going and they, they loved listening to his teachings more than they loved listening to these Jewish leaders and they weren't happy about this at all. People went to the Jewish leaders for everything. That's how they knew how they should live. That's how they knew which laws they should follow. That's how they knew how they should worship. They followed the commandments of the, the, the instructions of these Jewish leaders to a T. And now all of a sudden they're following this Jesus who's speaking this radical stuff that goes against their laws because the Jewish leaders made up their own laws. And they said, not only are you to follow the laws of God, but you need to follow all these as well. And Jesus kind of said, that's rubbish. Trust in God with all your heart and love one another. And Jesus is out ministering to people who the Jewish leaders said they should have nothing to do with, the outcasts in society. Jesus was loving. And so they're using this time, which should be a great time of celebration of all that God has done for them, and they're plotting to kill the one God has sent to bring their salvation. Seems like an odd start to the story, doesn't it? They're trying to kill the one who's there because he loves them and, and to bring salvation. But it says this in, um, uh, in chapter 14, as we read, verse 1 to 2. It says it in uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Also chapter 1, verse 18, and chapter 12, verse 12. It says all these times the Jewish leaders are plotting a, a way that they can kill Jesus. The ones who should be following him, who should be 
honored that God has sent this one to be their salvation saw him as a distraction that needed to be stopped. What was Jesus doing during this time? He was at the home of Simon the leper. Now, Simon was a very common name. And Simon the leper wasn't actually someone who had leprosy. More than likely, it's someone who used to have leprosy but had been healed by Jesus himself. And so this is a man, if you know anything about leprosy, lepers at the time, anyone who had the disease of leprosy was just an outcast of the community. You weren't allowed to live with your family anymore. You weren't allowed to live in the city anymore. You were an outcast, literally cast out of the city to just die. And Jesus had healed this man, Simon, who then kept the name Simon the leper. Because when people see him, they go, wait a second, you're not a leper. And he can tell people, oh, well, let me tell you, I was. I once was sick and I once was an outcast, but now I've been made whole again by Jesus. He has brought me and restored me to fellowship in the community. He's brought me and restored me to the fellowship with God. And Jesus is here hanging out with this man who was an outcast in the, in the society and celebrating this religious feast with him. Now, any religious leader would think Jesus should be celebrating with the religious leaders. He should be hanging out with the teachers, but they're plotting to kill him. Well, he's ministering to those who nobody else would. Jesus knew of the plans of people to kill him. It says this in some of the passages I mentioned. He knew that his mate Judas was about to betray him. And in verses 12 to 26, it talks about as he's going through this last supper with him, or kind of a Passover meal with his disciples, he tells them, one of you sitting around the table is going to betray me. He knows which one. In fact, at one point, the disciples say, well, who is it? Who would do that? And he said, oh, it's the one who just dipped his bread in the juice, in the wine. And I'm sure poor Judas just dipped that in. He goes, oh, man, I'm busted. (laughs) Everybody knows it is now. He knew his friend was about to betray him. He knew his mate Peter, who had stood by his side, was going to deny him. And yet he loved them. And he kept having this time of fellowship with them. He kept trying to teach them and lead them in God's kingdom. And then there's this great passage in verses 3 to 9 where this woman comes in and dumps oil on his head. Now that just sounds weird, doesn't it? I don't know you. I've never had that happen to me. I've never been sitting out at the table and all of a sudden some lady bursts into my house and walks up and opens a bottle of perfume and dumps it on my head. That just sounds weird, right? Now, believe it or not, that was really weird in his time as well, but for different reasons. Because in Jesus' day, I'm not saying this would work in 2016, I'm saying in Jesus' day, women didn't hang out where men were hanging out. If men were sitting there reclining at the table, women did not walk in. The men ate with the men, and they fellowshiped with the men. The women kept with the women. And this man, Jesus... Who's, who's just reclining at the table, getting ready for the meal, ready to be served. I know some of you went around, oh, yeah, my husband's like that. Just sit around, wait, for, wait to be served. Well, the men did that in Jesus' day. They sat around, they waited for the meal to be brought to them. He was waiting for this Passover meal to be prepared. And this woman bursts in the scene. She comes in the house, and she gets this ball of perfume, and she pours it on his head, and she anoints him. Now, 
these disciples, it says others around the house, but it was his disciples that were with him, started talking about how negative, like talking negatively about all this woman is doing. They said, can you believe this woman has burst in here and now she's dumped this bottle of expensive perfume on his head. What a waste, because we could have used that. We would have put that to good use. They wanted the money for themselves to use for, uh, for what they decided as, uh, as religious leaders and as disciples how it should be done. They started to ridicule this woman and, and the Bible says uh, in verse 4 they, they spoke to her quite harshly about it. Now you think, what difference does it make if uh, she dumps this bottle of perfume on his head? But one had said women weren't even allowed to enter the house so she was kind of breaking the, the cultural rules. But then she used this gift, this bottle of perfume to pour on Jesus. And you think, what is that all about? It says this bottle of perfume was made from nard. Now, I don't know how many of you have nard sitting around. I didn't even have a clue what nard was until a few years ago I looked in that. Nard is uh, a, a root from a, a shrub or a bush in India. And uh, the root or the extract from this root would be sealed in a jar uh, to keep its, uh, its bright smell, uh, its beautiful smell intact. And this bottle of perfume... He said it would have been worth about 300 denarii. Now you think, well, that sounds good. What is that? That's about $35,000 Australian money in today's terms. $35,000 Australian money, bottle of perfume. Now that's not your kind of five and dime dollar store perfume, isn't it? This isn't the knockoff stuff. This is the real deal. The $35,000 bottle of perfume she takes and opens up and just dumps the whole thing on Jesus' head. Now that's why they're going, what a waste. We would have taken that bottle of perfume. We would have sold it. We would have used that money uh, for something different. We could have cared for the poor. We could have done whatever. This is more than likely a family heirloom that would have been passed down through the generations for someone when they reach some financial trouble, they have something. This would have been this lady's only gift, all that she had. And this most precious family heirloom, something that no one would have ever spent, no one would have dared opened, she gave it all to Jesus. This, for this woman, was an act of worship, was an act of honor and praise. Jesus saw this as preparing him for what was about to come. He said, oh, she's preparing me for my funeral. She's anointing me as you would uh, someone who's already died. And she's preparing me for what's ahead. Now, the disciples had no clue what he's talking about. They never did. You can, we'll see in, verses, in chapters 14 to 16, over and over, Jesus is talking to them about what's, com, what's to come. Over and over, Jesus is talking to them about what he's about to endure for them. And they're just like, okay, that's, that's good. We have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. And he's going, oh, this woman is preparing me for my funeral. Maybe they thought Jesus was dramatic. Oh, yeah, okay, you're going to die. That's fine. Yeah, some people just like that. Maybe they're dramatic and you think, oh. Yeah, but Jesus is trying to teach them something. And they just didn't see him. This woman knew who Jesus was. And she was willing to give everything she had. Her most prized possession to honor him. To pour on his head and to try to bless him. Jesus jumped on his disciples and he said, Hey, leave her alone. Because the poor are always going to be around. You can take care of them with whatever. That's fine, but I'm not always going to be around. And this woman, what she has done is done to honor me. What she has done is given her all for me. You should be more like her. 
Now, to us, we go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. She did her everything for them. We should be like him. To his disciples, that would have been a big blow. They were the men. They were the followers of Jesus. And he goes, you should be more like this woman. You should be more like her who gives her all. Because what's important is honoring God. What's important is submitting to him and humbling and giving your all for him, for Jesus. What's important isn't the cultural rules. What's important isn't the religious things that we're going to follow. What's important isn't the feast that we're about to celebrate. What's important is people and loving them and loving God, giving your all for him. And then Jesus sat down in his Lord's Supper, uh, the Last Supper, and he talked about the sacrifice and salvation he's going to bring. Now, have you ever seen a, a sand dollar? A sand dollar is a little shell. You see them in the United States. They're a beautiful little shell. Uh, it's a flat little shell, about, about yay big, about this big. And they're amazing little things. My mom used to have one on a shelf, probably still does have one on a shelf in her, uh, in her room. And she used to say, this little shell is a story of Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you listen to your mom all the time. When I was young, I'm just like, oh, okay, here goes mom. Tell another Bible story, whatever. A shell, how significant can that be? Now, you can go home, you can Google uh, pictures of the sand dollar. Beautiful little shells. Because on one side of the shell, they're found just in the, the shore around uh, New Hampshire and uh, New England part of the United States. And when they're dried in the sun, uh, they turn white. And they look about the size of a dollar coin. Here's the name, the sand dollar. They're found there in the sands, there in the shore. And on one side is what looks like a star. And they say, well, that's a symbol of the star of David, which first led people to, to Bethlehem to see Jesus, the king, when he was born. But also on that same side, there are five little holes in every sand dollar. And they say, well, that is the symbol of the five holes that were put in Jesus' body when he gave his life on the cross. One for each hand, one for each foot, and the, the sword which went in his side to prove that he was dead. On that same side is a beautiful picture. You can't deny it's a beautiful picture that looks like a lily, which the lily has often been a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus. We often see them at Easter time celebrating our risen Lord. On the other side of the coin are this sand dollar, this beautiful shell. You see the outline of a flower, which looks exactly like a poinsettia, or a poinsettia, as some would say which is um, often symbolic of the birth of Jesus. And we see them around Christmas time uh, in many churches. And if you break open a sand dollar, any sand dollar, there'll be five little pieces that fall out. And these five little pieces are all shaped, I can't do it, they're shaped like a dove's wings. Okay? Um, they're shaped like a, a beautiful dove, which is a symbol of the peace and joy that we have because of Jesus. Now, what I find... When we look at stuff like the, the passion story of Jesus, we look at the suffering Jesus did on the cross, and, and, and his disciples, when they were hearing what all was coming up, what I find is sometimes we just walk along and we see another shell on the, on the shore, and we fail to see the significance of what is there. Sometimes in Christian circles, we can hear the same stories, we can know what Christ did, and we, we fail to see the significance, the symbolism of what is about to take place. In this last Passover meal, 
Jesus would eat before He literally became the sacrificial lamb once and for all that would take away the sins of the world. Justifying the requirement of the Old Testament law and making a new covenant by the grace of Him. As He's having this meal, He started saying, look, this bread, this bread is going to be my body which is given for everyone. He knew that everyone at that table were going to fail Him. He knew that all of his friends were going to fall away. He knew the emotional struggles he was going to have to go through. He knew the physical pain he was going to have to go through at the cross. And he says, I'm doing all this for you. The wine, he raises up and says, this is a new covenant in my blood. Pour it out for you. Pour it out for any who believe. As we go through these, um, the next few chapters and these next few weeks and, and next few times together, we'll see immense suffering that Jesus was willing to endure, leading up to and including the cross. And that the fact that he was willing to go through it all to pay for your freedom, to pay for my salvation, to give us hope, although we don't deserve it. That he knows us completely, all of our mistakes and all of our failures, and yet he chooses to share with us life and hope and freedom. And I pray that as we look at the story of the passion of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, we can see His love for us, His grace that He gives to any who will trust in Him. Let's just pray. God, I just thank You and I praise You for Your willingness to endure the cross. For You knowing, God, what is ahead and and You trying to teach the disciples and others what it's all about. But God, for the fact that You were willing to go through it all for me, for us, of a fallen and unfaithful people. God, you were faithful and true to endure it all because you love us. Not because we deserve it, but because you're gracious and faithful and amazing. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. God, help us to be challenged by your love, to not only surrender our lives to you so that we have this amazing peace and hope and grace, but God, to live out your love in our community, to lift you up so that you draw people to your amazing love, so you change their hearts and lives as they surrender to you. Help us, Lord, to honor you with our lives, to live out that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.